COVID-19 has accelerated so much and so much innovation that normally could be years away. Hi everyone, I'm Barbara Humpton, CEO of Siemens USA, and thank you for listening to The Optimistic Outlook. As we confront this pandemic, all of us are having to weigh risks. And one piece of advice we keep hearing is that if we want to improve safety, go outside, which works well in the summertime. In this episode, I wanted to look at how we address the challenge in our built environment and how we can use technology and adapt our behavior to create safer indoor spaces. And that's why I wanted to talk to Scott Reckler and learn more about how his team has been using technology to reinvent office spaces. Scott is the CEO and chairman of RxR Realty in the New York metropolitan region. And believe it or not, his team is now 90% back to work in person at the office. Scott has served on the boards of both the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, as well as the MTA, the Metropolitan Transportation Authority. And he currently serves as chair of the Regional Plan Association, which works to improve the economic health, environmental resiliency, and quality of life across the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut metropolitan areas. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. Hey, Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Barbara. It's great to be here. I appreciate you having me. Well, you know, when you look at your business's real estate portfolio, you view it not just as an asset for your company, you really see it as part of the regional community. Tell us how you got into the business that you're in and how did you get to this view that um, your real mission is to help build communities? Yeah, so, um, my, my, I'm third generation. My grandfather actually started uh, in the business in the uh, in the late '50s, and um, and it was always very focused on uh, our customers and our community, and understanding how our community's needs were changing, how our customers' needs were changing, and that's what led uh, him into his business originally, and in building industrial buildings and suburban office buildings. And then, as I got into the business, um, it became you know even more clear to me that uh, as a platform, we have the ability. Uh, and frankly, an obligation to make our communities better places for people to live uh, and to work. And that, uh, you know, our business is only going to be as good and healthy as our communities are. And so, uh, you know, we made it as part of our foundation of uh, our value set that uh, doing good and doing well means doing better. And that we have a, you know, a, as, as we judge our success, it's not just on our financial results, but it's also on what's the impact that we're having uh, to our communities and making them stronger and, uh, and, and, and having long-term you know, sustainability and vitality uh, of our communities. That's interesting. And of course, during this pandemic, you've had a moment where you've really been able to step up. Um, you know, we, I look at this, we're facing a health and economic and a societal crisis all at once. And I'm interested in how you're reinventing your business, how you're working with buildings to help people get to work post-COVID. And, and, but take us back to the beginning. How did you first respond and, and how has this unfolded for you? Interesting, a couple of things. One, you know, New York really was the epicenter um, of this crisis. And an early uh, area that was hit in New York is New Rochelle, where we're the master developer. So not only was it New York, but New Rochelle um, was the first place that was under COVID lockdown. And I remember engaging with the mayor uh, as we're all trying to understand what was happening and um, and sort of the fog of war that was going on with uh, with him and me asking, you know, what can we do to be helpful? 
and there was nothing that came straight to mind. So, you know, we activated ourselves, say, how do we help our community in, in this time of need? And so it, it, it was something that as you went through, you realized this was a moment in time that was going to be one where we needed to reinvent not only how we operate our business, but how we help our communities navigate through these challenges and, um, and how we then ultimately position them to be stronger. And, you know, early on for us, uh, we began to sort of get some insights as to what happened in COVID. I was actually in Hong Kong in the third week in January. And um, we have one of some of our largest investors are from Hong Kong institutions in Hong Kong. And uh, when I went, I mean, I knew COVID was out there, but I didn't really have a feel for what it was. And I landed, went to my meetings, and I had some conversations with some of these investors who were talking about some of their concerns. And frankly, literally, when I went back to the airport uh, to leave, you know, I, all of a sudden they were doing temperature checks. And so when I landed, I said to the team, I said, you know, let's go meet with uh, as many of our uh, tenants that have global footprints, particularly in spots of Asia, to find out uh, what they're seeing, how they're dealing with it, and what we might be expecting uh, here. And then... Um, in early February, started a COVID-19 task force uh, that literally has met every morning since then, where we've talked about the dynamics as to what's happening and where that may play out and uh, brought in public health advisors uh, that specialize in, in pandemics to understand what that might be. And the, the same types of groups that were advising the governor, we were looking at the same charts to see where this might play itself out. And so um, it was, you know, I would say by the, the, um, beginning of March, I was actually out in, in uh, Seattle and uh, was meeting with Microsoft. And part of the meeting was talking about how do we think about the technology that we've been building to think about optimizing our buildings. And if there is a situation where we need to have to coexist with a virus. And as we're having that meeting, um, and I was with the head of real estate and head of the um, IOT group, uh, you know, I ended up getting a, uh, we got a visit and told that we all have to leave the building. They were closing down the campus because of COVID uh, until indefinitely. So you started to see it all come up. And so that was really where by, the, by that, you know, uh, beginning of the second week of March, we knew we were gonna be in something that was gonna last longer. And, we, and, and, and then I think this wasn't gonna be a, a blip. And so we immediately went into high gear of how do we reimagine uh, our workplaces and our, our places where people live to be in a situation where they could be safe, they could feel safe, they get better transparency about the health and wellness of their building and the community around their building and new tools that enable them to change their behavior so that while they're coming to work, um, they can get the most out of being in the workplace, even though it's going to be different than, uh, than it was before. So we, we decided to invest a, a, as much as we could into that initiative with a view that this is going to be a long-term process. And, um, and so we've been going at it you know, for the last 120 days. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I feel pretty confident to say I think we have some of the safest buildings uh, in New York. And the feedback that we've gotten from our tenants um, is really, really um, you know, strong in terms of that they want to be able to look their uh, the employees in the face and say, you're coming back to a place that's safe. Because everyone's got so much anxiety after being told that you need to lock down and, you know, what is uh, the you know the, the, how contagious COVID is and the death rate is and all these scary things that we've lived through over the last number of months that it's hard to bring people back to work and it's hard as a CEO to tell people it's time to come back to work so you want to you know be in a situation that when you do it you're you're doing it in a way that they feel uh, comfortable um, and empowered to be making uh, this decision.
Yeah, I, I want to get into the technology of this a little bit, but first I want to ask you about terminology. Um, I've been referring to this time as the now normal. I mean, everything's changing so fast. You use the phrase, the new abnormal. Tell us what you mean. So, you know, what became clear is that, that we're going to have to coexist with COVID and that is not normal, right? And and, and so it's not going to be, hopefully it's not forever, but for some period of time, our life is going to be that we're going to have to learn how to change how we operate, how we engage as social beings, um, but coexisting with the virus. And so that's the new abnormal. And, you know, I, I was originally in the mindset when I defined it as it's from, you know, now until we ultimately have um, a vaccine. Um, I think, you know, as I've explored this more, I think this could be a, you know, two, three, four year process because, the reality is, as you look at what's happening with the vaccines and why I, I have high hopes that we have, we'll have one, you know, uh, more broadly distributed sometime next year, um, even if that is the case, the uh, efficacy of the vaccine is expected to be maybe 50%. And there's, you know, uh, you know, polls that say 30% of people are going to be even afraid to take it. So you have 50%, if they take it, may not be effective to provide them immunity. 30% may not even take it. So this virus is still going to be here and we're going to have to figure out how to deal with it. And so it's going to be somewhere between the combination of the vaccines, effective therapeutics and more, you know, rapid diagnostic testing that will be able to make the new abnormal feel as normal as possible. And then over time, hopefully we'll be in a situation where uh, it will be normal again. And it's a little bit analogous to 9-11, which we lived in the heart of that uh, when that occurred, which was, you know, there was a moment in time where, um, the, the fear factor and your fear for and, and safety, frankly, uh, people living in places like New York City and being in skyscrapers and being on planes, um, you know, there was an, a whole abnormal period where for the first time you were going through metal detectors and your your back, your your trunks were checked and under your cars were checked and your, you know, you had to go through turnstiles, all these new things that we all had to get accustomed to. Some of that shed away when we ended up building a bigger infrastructure, which took a couple of years and of, of Homeland Security and Joint Terrorist Task Force, where we felt we created a level of safety. But a lot of that technology um, and protocols ended up staying. And I think that's going to be the same uh, here in this, uh, as we think about coming through this pandemic, is there'll be people's view and the importance of health and wellness and the fact that this may happen again are going to change how we operate and live uh, going forward. Yeah, so the, the idea of um, literally just making our built infrastructure safer, uh, healthier for everyone is going to be with us for a long time. And let's talk about the role of technology then. You've been an innovator for quite some time and you've been, you've been using technology in ways that other, others have not yet grasped and, um, and yet you've reached even further during the pandemic. Tell us about the role of technology and the tools you're using right now to make uh, your buildings uh, healthier for all of us. Right. And, and as you and I've had conversations in the past about finding ways that even we can collaborate with Siemens on this, we have a digital lab that we have set up that's been trying to think about how do we merge the physical and the digital to enhance the experience of our customers and optimize um, the use and efficiencies and productivity uh, of our buildings. And we have uh, 25 data scientists, product development people, uh, uh, programmers, engineers that are in-house, plus probably another 75 of outsourced support group that help us through um, these innovations. And so we were innovating um, more towards 
those types of use cases. And when COVID happened, we shifted the entire focus of the lab to helping us think through how we're going to prepare our buildings uh, for, for COVID. And again, as I said, it's, it's thinking about both the physical side and the digital side and everything for us, which is part of the advantage, whereas being an operator, a fully integrated operator is customer focused and spending the time talking to our customers, understanding what their um, concerns are, the challenges, and then trying to develop the use cases to help solve them. So for us here, it was really focused upon when people come to work, um, you know, how do we use technology to make sure they are safe, right? So changing air quality, airflow, things of that nature, giving them the ability to feel safe and tools I mentioned earlier for transparency and, um, and also behavioral change. And so it started, we, we created what we call RxWell, which uh, starts with, you know, every one of our uh, tenants, when they come back to work, will have download this app. And when they wake up in the morning, they'll, you know, answer a questionnaire about their health and, and um, you know, wellness and have they been around then with COVID or um, now in New York, have you been to any of the states that been require quarantine for 14 days and have you quarantined? And if they get a green pass, they can come to the, to the office. If they get a red pass, um, they can do one or two things. They stay home or they can hit for a virtual care button and they'll get a virtual care a clinician who will then ask them a series of other questions who can overturn the red to green if they wanted to. The other thing we have is on this is a, um, a, a wellness pulse, which is a, a package of information that if you were um, a tenant coming to work of things that you might want to know. So for example, what's the air quality? What's the humidity quality? What's, has there been a change in the level of, of COVID um, uh, rates in the zip code where the building is or hospitalizations or ICU. So it informs you that if you're concerned, you have pre-existing conditions, you're worried about something, you're empowered to make the decision about how much risk you want to take about coming to work or not coming to work. Uh, so that's something also that they can access. And then when they get to the building, we've, we've changed our building. So now that all of our doors are touchless, so they open up automatically. As you walk in, uh, there's thermoscanners scanners that check your temperature um, you can, you'll show your green pass to uh, a wellness concierge, which are now in all of our lobbies, we have wellness concierges, uh, which is the physical part. If you have a temperature that's above 100.4, um, you'll be asked to come into this wellness lounge that we set up in the lobby, and we'll verify that with a handheld medical grade uh, the thermometer as to whether it still is. And if someone says, well, I ran here, I had coffee, take some time, feel it out. And then if they still do, they can call again for virtual care, go home, go see a clinic, uh, one of the clinicians that we have available to them. And even with our, um, our uh, the people that are our wellness concierges, it was really trying to make sure that they were thoughtful, that the people coming in are going to be ultra sensitive, right? And so that we have to have a sense of compassion and how do you approach this? So we took them through Rich Carlin training programs. We had 200 people go through Rich Carlin training program to make sure that, that people feel that sense of hospitality and comfort coming back to the building. And then the same thing, touchless elevators as you go through, guide you to the elevator that, uh, that uh, you, you would be going right to your floor, limits the number of people in the elevator. Uh, everyone needs to wear a face mask and social distance in the lobbies. Uh, we're actually using AI in our cameras so we can now actually tell if people aren't wearing face masks and aren't social distancing. And right now we're using it more for uh, just measuring compliance ourselves, but in the future you can use it to actually go to places where people aren't and offer them a face mask uh, in, in that regard. And then 
In the buildings themselves, we have uh, uh, counters to see to ensure that we have uh, you know what the level of capacity is in terms of the number of people in our in our space at any one uh, time. So if it's in New York, it's a 50 percent cutoff, and so uh, you know for RxR as an example, we're averaging about 42 percent of our space filled, even though we have now about 90 percent of our people back at work because some are in our field offices, you know some are on vacations, and so we're every you know week monitoring that. Uh, we have tools that on your app you can see uh, from your desk if there's uh, heat maps where there's congestion. So if you want to use the restroom or if you want to take the elevator, if there's a lot of people, you don't have to go until it opens up and, and walk to get there. A tool that at the end of the day will tell you if uh, what percentage uh, you social distance. So it will give you a social distance score. So you'll be able to you know help yourself change your own behaviors uh, in that matter. Uh, we're actually going to be implementing, again, face masks. Uh, compliance in our public areas and our corridors. So we'll be able to, again, measure that and share people with compliance uh, on, on that front. And then with new protocols, even on cleaning, so that if your workplace is cleaned, you'll get a notification that your workplace was cleaned. Uh, so you have transparency that has been cleaned. Or if, if you were not feeling well or someone around you weren't uh, and you want a deep cleaning, you can just request um, on your app to get your space uh, deep cleaned uh, along the way. And then um, we have uh, the last uh, sort of piece is on the environmental testing, uh, a new thing that we're doing a, a, um, a proof of concept with, which is we're having our cleaners wear um, a PPE that is labeled, and when they're done cleaning each floor, it goes into a specific bag that then goes for uh, testing to see if we pick up any of the virus on either their shoes or their gloves. And if we do, since they're being tracked, we can see where they were and then we'll go do surface testing. So the concept there is how do we stay ahead of where the virus uh, might be going before it gets there? And since about 70% of the people who have the virus are asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic, this enables us to then say, okay, there's somewhere in here someone might have the virus. Let's go and ask them to do um, diagnostic testing. Um, and so it's a you know really holistic program to, again, give people comfort, change behavior, but also preventative uh, as well as we go through the process. I love the way you're thinking about the whole person and the fact that it really does take trust uh, before people are going to want to come back into buildings. And, and so thinking about the psychological aspects of service mentality associated with this, I think is brilliant. And, and I'm kind of curious about what the data is showing you so far. Um, are, you, are you finding, I, I understand your own workforce is, is back and engaged. At Siemens, what we've done is we've decided this is a time for a bit of a management transformation to get managers to understand that virtual can work too. And we ought to give people flexibility. What are you hearing uh, about the, uh, the effectiveness of the measures you've taken? And then are you seeing changes in the way people are using their built environment? Yeah, so, and, and I applaud you, by the way, what Siemens has done. I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's smart to think about using this as an opportunity to uh, you know, empower people and judge them on performance versus showing up someplace or not. And I think that, um, that, that we've all learned new tools, right? And I think that that's something longer term, um, as we return to the workplace more, more broadly, um, I think we're going to learn to, the best thing to do is just to take the learnings that we had from working remotely, as well as all the value of being uh, in the workplace in terms of the engagement, the culture building, um, the mentorship, um, the sense of community that comes with the workplace, and getting the best of both. And as I speak to a lot of the large CEOs and heads of real estate, 
um, that uh, that operate in the, in the New York or market around the world, that seems to be where they're heading is a more of a hybrid model where maybe there's a five to 10% group of their, of their employees that actually work from home almost permanently and then come in for engagements. And then for the balance of their, their workforce, you know, maybe there's a day or two or some flexibility to work remotely um, more regularly than, than they otherwise would. Now that uh, they realize it can be done, technology works uh, to be effective and that people um, have learned new ways to, to manage in that, that environment. What I will say is at this current moment, we haven't seen um, as many of the companies and workforce come back to our buildings or our peers' buildings as we would have hoped. We're probably at like a 15% um, occupancy level against 25 million square feet of space. Um, and, uh, and I think part of it is um, the anxiety that I mentioned earlier, right, that people have been nervous, um, lack of clarity as to where things were going. And I think we had some good momentum. And then when there was the uh, social unrest and looting, that pulled it back a little bit. Um, in, in terms of where there, there was. I think the lack of clarity as to um, how, you know, how this is all going to function. And I think uh, public transit has been, unfortunately, an issue um, that a lot of uh, the companies that we speak to say, okay, we totally feel comfortable in the building itself. You've done a great job. How do we get there? How do we get our employees there? How are they going to feel safe um, going to the buildings? And so, um, and I think, and I think again, that is a psychological issue, and that is one that uh, you know that we have to all uh, you know work on. You know, from I personally, my first day back at work, took the subway up to the office, posted my picture. Our teams are taking the, the subway and 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 public transit now. In fairness, they're relatively empty right now, so this is the cleanest subways I've ever been on, and uh, the most amount of room. But you know, I, you know, if you look around the world in places like Seoul and Hong Kong and Tokyo and other places in Europe that have really robust uh, public transit systems that are now back to almost capacity, there haven't been any um, indications that the uh, riding uh, public transit has resulted in someone catching uh, COVID. And so I think that the psychological barrier will be broken as more people start riding the subway um, and then riding um, the, the, uh, the other public transit and realize, okay, it's okay, we can do it. Now, I will say that this is fluid, right? So I'm also a big believer you got to keep looking at the data, keep looking at the science. And, you know, right now in New York, as an example, we're a sub 1% infectious rate on over 65,000 tests a day. So you feel pretty good. If that starts climbing to 3, 5, 10%, I think you're, we're going to have to adjust and we'll adjust ourselves along the way. And same thing, even as we go zip code by zip code, we're trying to see what that is. And as people come into our buildings, we're watching temperature rate adjustments or people calling in sick. So as much data that we can have to inform, um, you know, what are our policies and recommendations are to um, our own employees and our, our, our tenants employees uh, is, is really, I think what's going to drive this going forward, but public transit and public schools are probably the two biggest barriers that I hear relative to people being able to come back to work in a more, normal setting. The one, the one thing I'll just end this point with, because is that I think to me, going back to your first question about uh, commitment to community, I view this as a civic responsibility to get back to the workplace. Um, you know, for every one person that works in an office building, there's five service jobs created. And, and so, you know, we're living through this horrifically challenging economic time. Um, and the, if we're not going to all lead and particularly the white collar workers, um, that, that can afford to come back to work, but may by choice or because of anxiety, not do it. 
um, it has the ramifications of the people that want to come back to work not having jobs because there's no people to serve. So like we've wanted to open up some of our, our restaurants and, and other things, you know, for even just delivery services, we don't have enough uh, demand where the people could justify opening up, even though they want to open up right now. And so my hope is as long as things sort of stay stable and now we're opening up schools in New York and we'll see how that plays out, that we'll start getting a greater portion of the workforce and maybe by the end of the year, be back up uh, to 50 percent and then work our way after the, the new year to to more. Well, Scott, maybe an idea would be for us to think about one of the big problems that um, I think employees are going to have is childcare, uh, especially to the extent schools are virtual. I wonder if there's anybody who would consider converting some of their space in office buildings to virtual learning centers for children, so that so that parents could come back to work and know that they're that their kids have a good, safe place to proceed with their uh, studies and their education. Yeah, no, I th- listen, I think there's, I think to that just creative idea, and I can say this to everyone, this is the moment that everyone needs to be thinking innovatively, right? Whatever, this is not a time to think about uh, the playbooks of the past. We're rewriting playbooks uh, for the future that no one's even had to think about before. And so um, any innovative ideas, whether that's, you know, driven by technology, by uh, space, by new programs, um, we got to be thinking about them because that's the only way we're going to be able to get um, a live in a new abnormal that generates enough uh, economic activity that, you know, we can bring unemployment to a level that's sustainable and deal with the, the poverty and, and, and the challenges that people are facing right now in you know, throughout the whole U.S. And so um, I, I agree, we got to be as creative as possible. Hey, well, I love talking to other optimists, and I'm telling you, this is fascinating and so inspiring to know that you and an entire team are just have, have a laser focus on this issue of buildings, absolutely central and, and absolutely needs to be solved while the weather's still good because winter is coming, and That's we right. know that we're all going to be having to be go back. We will all be going back inside, but let me set that aside for just a moment and pick your brain. I, I a little picture of the future. So we'll be with this for the next several years, and it is abnormal. But but give us an optimistic view of what this world is going to be like, how we'll be using buildings and, and how we can be productive and, and healthy in, right. in the world that you're helping to build. So I, listen, I, I think, um, and I do have an optimist, I am an optimist, probably the only thing more contagious than uh, right now COVID-19 is optimism with me, right? So it's, it, it is... Uh, it's, it's, it's something that you have to think that way. Um, and, but there's a reason to think that way. One thing that I will say that we've seen is this, uh, going back to the innovation, is that COVID-19 has accelerated so much and so much innovation uh, that normally could be years away, whether that's in science, technology, um, you know, the, the, almost every sector, uh, urban planning, uh, restaurants, new innovations have come up and have been brought forward that when we sort of get past this, this period of the new abnormal or find a way to even deal with it more, we're going to see, um, you know, a, a, a period of enlightenment that I don't think we've seen in decades because of this, you know, what's, what's currently happened. And hopefully the, the speed that, that it's happened because of collaboration and a, a reduction of regulation and bureaucracies that, had stopped this before that had no choice, like telemedicine as an example, right? That they broken down and um, 
you know, that they don't get rebuilt because we, that we should take the best of that. And I think we'll have that opportunity um, on the other side. And so generally, I think that's the case. I think we're seeing in places like New York um, that there's, you know, th- th- this is a place that has been a magnet for talent historically. That's what has driven its growth is that the best and brightest from around the world want to live uh, and work uh, in this in this marketplace and visit this market and this city. Um, and I think that will ultimately get there. I think it's going to be a couple of challenging years, but what gives me a tremendous hope is that the the big companies, the big knowledge companies that are, I think, the future of our economy, whether that's the Pfizer's or the Disney's or the Google, the Facebook's or the JP Morgan's, are all making enormous commitments um, to building new either headquarters or uh, major hubs uh, in New York City with a view they're going to be growing here, not for years, but decades beyond. So, that's going to be the the magnet that's going to keep the jobs here while we cross the bridge to enhance, bring the quality of life back to what New York was before uh, the pandemic. And then I think as we get to the other side, I think we'll have the opportunity to reimagine, reinvent ourselves better than when we left it. Uh, A New York that's more equal, an urban environment that thinks more regionally. So thinks about the suburban markets and the city and, and creates an opportunity for them to leverage each other better, to enable people to live a better quality of life, a more affordable quality of life, less pressure on our transit systems, congestion on our streets, more affordable housing, uh, more of an emphasis on healthcare. You know, I think we've learned that we under, have been underinvesting in our healthcare, uh, and this is a prime example of it. So, how do we reinvest in our healthcare, and how do we do it in a way that's more uh, equitable and more accessible to more people? Um, now that we've learned how you can do that with uh, with with technology uh, along the way, and then even in things like we're doing in our buildings, interestingly, all the technology that we're putting in our buildings um, are things that have use cases post COVID in terms of enabling people to understand what's happening within their spaces more effectively. Are there you know are there uh, team members collaborating? Uh, you know, are, do they have the right people in the office on the right days? Are they using the amenities they have? Is the space efficient? Is the air quality right? So all these things, are, as are we go into the next phase, in our mind, is going to create a, a healthier, more uh, productive uh, work environment and a better sense of community uh, by providing those tools to people that you know make those decisions. Well, Scott Reckler, that is a big vision, and I can't wait to work on it with you. Thank you so much for being with me today. I appreciate it. Please follow us on social media and on your favorite podcasting platform. Thank you for tuning in.